Dearest Ebby, Laura May, and Rita, as you know by now, you'll have to carry on without me from here. It isn't easy to leave a town like our town, to tear myself away from you three dear, dear friends who've meant so much to me. And so I consider myself extremely lucky to be able to take with me a sort of memento, something to remind me always of the town that was my home and of my three very dearest friends whom I want never to forget. And I won't. You see, girls, I've run off with one of your husbands, Addie. Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin. I'm David Dahl. And this week, we started the 1949 nominees with the absolutely batshit bonkers A Letter to Three Wives. A movie that asks how many times you can speedrun Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf before the audience gets bored and leaves. Oh, God, I wish it were as clever as Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Yeah, no, just the uncomfortable parts of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Wait, are there comfortable parts of well, there are parts where you go like, oh, these people are intriguing to watch in their terrible lives. And this movie has uh, maybe 10 minutes of that, almost all of which I would say Kirk Douglas is responsible for. You mean Paul? Uh, oh, Kirk Douglas. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. He's actually quite good. But mostly it's just watching three miserable marriages. We have a weirdly omniscient narrator, and I still don't know why she's omniscient. I, is she real? Right? <laughs> like, is she just a shared hallucination? <laughs> <laughs> this movie is so fucking wild. I now get, because we mentioned this last week, how it was a letter to five wives when it was serialized in Cosmo and then published as a book. And why you also could not do that for a movie because, oh my god, it would be so long. <laughs> yeah, no, my second favorite thing about this movie is that it literally was that Hollywood executives went, too many wives, bring it down to three. And my favorite <laughs> thing about this movie is they were right. <laughs> yes, oh, absolutely. Yeah, so the premise of this film, because I don't know that we necessarily need to go through the whole plot. No. But the premise of this film is that in some town in America, which it doesn't really matter what it is, there is a woman who lives there named Addie Ross. And Addie Ross is basically the hottest shit that ever walked the planet as far as everyone in this town is concerned. And she is our narrator. And at the beginning of the movie... She sends a letter to three of her friends who are the three wives and her friends hate her because she's the hottest shit who ever walked the planet and they're basically jealous. But also they have a pretty good reason because Addie sends them a letter that says, hey, I ran off with one of your husbands. Not going to tell you which one. Have fun figuring it out. Right. And, like, I think that the sort of repeated... Addie is always just off screen. Addie is always doing things where you don't actually see Addie. And I think the intention is that she's sort of like the specter of infidelity. But as a result, she has fucking superpowers. Oh, yeah. She is oh, yeah. <laughs> endlessly, like, able to remember her friends' husbands' birthdays and what their favorite gift would be. Organizes every social event 
sends people drinks at parties she's not even fucking at. Like she Yes. She's also the most beautiful, the most charming, the classiest. She is everything that any man would ever want, depending on what their particular type is, even. And we see her very briefly from the back in one scene. But, you know, that could be fucking anybody. <laughs> right. So let's briefly go through. The The structure is then after she sends this absolutely insane note of one of your husbands has left you. Guess which one? You then get the backstory of all three <laughs> marriages, all three of which are bad. The first one is bad because... She and her husband were in the Navy together, and she grew up poorer than him. He's sort of one of the, like, real men of money and class in this town, really basically the only one, and she's incredibly insecure about it, and he is a real dick about her being insecure. Yeah. Then the second marriage is... uh, God, I can't remember any of their fucking names. Rita. Rita writes radio plays, and her husband is a school teacher. <laughs> Rita writes radio. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. Rita writes radio, and her husband is a school teacher who is kind of an insufferable snob, but also is played by Kirk Douglas, so it comes off kind of okay. And also, that may just be me, because he is also an insufferable prick, basically the exact same way I'm an insufferable prick. So I might just be giving him some, like, extra points. Because he's just, like, a prick to his wife's boss about how radio is ruining literature for everyone. We said on our podcast. <laughs> yeah. The third couple is an old guy who's like a business leader in the town who thinks his wife is a gold digger because she is and she thinks that he is only interested in her because she's pretty because he is and then the two of them get married and yell at each other constantly and shockingly it's not a happy marriage right Then in the end, it turns out the old businessman is the one that left with Addie, the greatest woman to ever live, but then changed his mind and came back. And then that gives his wife the chance to divorce him and get all of his money. But she doesn't take him because she really loves him, I I guess. And then that makes him believe that she really loves him, I guess. And end of movie. Yeah, that relationship was the one that to me was the most interesting, but also the least believable. So was this all a long con? Did this work out how Addie wanted it to? Right. Was she just trying to make their relationship stronger? Right. Because again, she has fucking superpowers. So that could have been her ploy all along. Right. Because she has superpowers. And then this guy is like, I actually changed my mind and didn't leave with her. And you go like, well, then that has to be part of her master plan. Because again, she's literally God. Like, she knows everything about what everyone is doing at all times. If Addie Ross wanted him to go with her, Addie Ross would have that man. (laughs) Right. Unquestionably. All three marriages are basically successful based upon how much, when they end up happy together at the end, you're like, that's insane or unrealistic. From what I gather in the novel, it is way more that 
Addie manages to just wreck the entire fucking town. That she manages to leave with one of the husbands. The husband stays gone, but it ruins all the other marriages too because all the other wives decide their marriage problems are unsolvable and their husband would be the one that ran off with Addie. Which makes a lot more fucking sense given the rest of this movie. I'm really curious as to what the perspective of this film is because when we think about the code, we know that one of the rules of the code is that adultery has to be punished right mm -hmm. so for this movie to be adapted to the screen they can't just have the guy run off with Addie and then we never see him again because then we don't get a punishment right mm -hmm. so what it has to be is that he left with her and then got cold feet and came back so no actual adultery happened <laughs> which is a very strange thing to occur and also for the wife to then be like oh okay well good because i actually really love you instead of like holy shit you did what now <laughs> here's the thing though i still think that's only the second wildest reconciliation because when they all come back deborah's husband deborah's the one who grew up poor and is insecure in her marriage and her husband isn't coming home which is a thing he said repeatedly might happen because of work that morning, she's instantly like, well, th then he's the one that ran off with her. And we don't even see them reconcile. We're just basically told, both at the end and also weirdly the beginning by Addie's weird voiceover, that she's just being a silly woman and she'll calm down and it'll all be fine. <laughs> Which is not the vibe you get watching their marriage. No, and Addie Ross's misogyny is brutal. Yeah. It is somehow so much worse hearing this sultry woman's voice call other women silly or frivolous or whatever. I both am fascinated by Addie Ross as a character and I fucking hate her which I think is actually what you're supposed to do <laughs> yeah and I don't think it's because this is an incredibly well-made film I just think it's because woman on woman misogyny is very upsetting <laughs> it is definitely not an intentional effect because most of the film it just makes you kind of confused about how you're supposed to react to anything because you kind of are waiting for Addie to tell you because her opinions are so wild, but also are the gospel truth because, again, she is God. And so the movie has people do things and then you're like, I guess that dress is bad or good or not. I don't know. What does Addie think? <laughs> Constantly. Yes. Ugh. The only times that the movie is really good, it feels like, are when people are able to kind of wrest control of the narrative away from that so that you actually care about the people in the scene instead of what Addie is going to tell you about them. Right. And that does not happen that much. No, it doesn't. I will say that there are some pretty good zingers and one-liners that come from other people other than Addie in this. And when we have situations where there are people who are not directly involved in this whole bad shit situation, 
like the cook who works for Kirk Douglas's family but grew up or was an adult who was around while Laura May, who is the gold digger, quote unquote, was growing up is quite funny. The radio director and his wife are funny in the sense of they're nice to laugh at. The movie, I think, is at its best when we are least concerned with these relationships. Yeah. Which is weird, since that's supposedly the focus and the point of this movie. The comic relief is really the best part of this film. (laughs) Yeah. I do think, again, the only marriage I give a shit about here is Rita and Kirk Douglas. At all. The other two marriages, when, like... They all sit around the table a couple of times, all three couples, and you're like, this is the most horrible, toxic set of three marriages I've ever seen in my entire life. (laughs) Like, they all know each other's business. They all complain about each other's business. Basically, not only are all three couples miserable, they're miserable publicly to the point where the other two couples are bored with their shit. Yeah. And it is horrible i mean no wonder Addie skipped town right (laughs) she's like her friends suck yeah i think that that's just representative of normal small town gossip which you know sucks i get that but like you do have to at some point give me a sign that any of these couples are worth saving if the entire movie is going to be the tension of which of these couples is doomed and like They kind of forget to do that with two out of the three couples. And I think the script forgets to do it with three out of three. It's just that both Kirk Douglas and Anne Southern are like doing good fucking work, making that relationship feel lived in. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's true, but I I actually will go to bat for Deborah and Brad, the young couple who met in the Navy, just because I feel absolutely horrible for her. Because she is younger than everyone and everyone sort of takes her under their wing, but does so very badly. (laughs) Yeah. And Brad genuinely seems to be a nice guy who has no idea of the effect that his money and class has on anyone. She's not even from that town. She's from a farm or whatever, and he has not done a very good job of, I don't know, teaching her how to act in this world and warning her of what she is going to encounter and is just like, yeah, you know what to do. You're a woman or whatever, which kind of sucks, but he's not an asshole. Whereas Paul Douglas, who plays the business guy, is totally an asshole and literally only marries Laura May because she's like, I don't want to date you anymore because I'm looking to get married and get the fuck out of this hellhole I live in. Which, like, does that make her a gold digger? I suppose technically, but I absolutely admire her for being up front and being like, look, I know that a marriage is my ticket out of this shithole and you're not interested in that so that first scene of their flashback she is fairly explicitly going on a date with him to get his money i do think you're right that within the context of the film my reaction to that is not 
uh, this gold digging witch, it's like, yeah, girl, get that money. Like, that's a smart plan. She knows what she's fucking doing. (laughs) Yes. But in practice, that is his concern about their relationship. And that is correct. That is what is happening here. Yeah. I agree with you about Deborah and Brad insofar as I think the movie does a good job making me care about Deborah's happiness. It doesn't do a very good job of making me feel like being with Brad will make Deborah happy. Yeah, there is definitely a feeling of Brad is going to have to have some gender norm deprogramming before he can make this woman happy. And since it's 1949, I don't think that's on the table. <laughs> right. Like the movie doesn't do any of that. The act three change is her going, oh, thank God my husband didn't cheat on me. I'll never be an insecure bitty around him again. Right. And it's like, that wasn't the problem. And I do think that, yes, Paul Douglas is playing like the most unquestionably an asshole of the three husbands. And his concern that his wife doesn't actually love him comes from a pretty reasonable place. But he doesn't have to be a huge asshole about that. And he is constantly. Well, especially because he basically only married her to call her bluff. Yeah. And let me say that the subtext of fine, I'll marry you so you'll sleep with me is absolutely there. And that was his choice. Yup. So, yeah, I don't have any sympathy for him at all because he made that bed so he could line it with her. (laughs) Yep. In addition to, like, whatever you want to say (laughs) about Laura May deciding to marry this guy for money or what percentage that is true, she kind of has the best lines in the movie. (laughs) Yes, she does. One of them literally writes, like, I would guess light patter comedy radio plays. Laura May kind of runs circles around her at this dinner party. Yeah, but that doesn't surprise me because I've met comedians. They're not funny when they're not on stage. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Oh, God, can we talk about the? This is incredibly going into weird detail. Can we talk about the incredibly wild thing where they all hear a sound effect that sounds like why they're afraid their husband is going to leave them as a transition into the, the flashbacks? Oh, my God. So someone felt the need to justify their vocoder purchase on this film. For sure. <laughs> Because it is just crazy. Like I actually looked up. I was like, did vocoders exist in 1949? They absolutely did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it is used all over this film. They try and use the vocoder to make these repeated flashback phrases sound like some part of the environmental sound. But one, they have to make a fake environmental sound every time. And they are increasingly strained. The first one, you're like, oh, that's kind of a weird effect, but like it's subtle enough that it doesn't derail the film. The second one, you're like, okay, that's wild. And the third one. Yeah, the third one is not even. The third one doesn't work at all. The third one is trying to go like. You know how dripping water sounds like T-Pain saying, I have everything I want? <laughs> no. You know you know how those two sounds <laughs> no, are the I same? No, I do not know how that is. No, <laughs> movie, no. Like, they no, are no, not at the, all. The, the, <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, that like is a minute of the film, but it is maybe the most interesting. <laughs> 
<laughs> the film because it's just so insane. It definitely felt on the first one that this is a thing that this person is obsessing about. And so for it to be this kind of weird noise that is halfway between a voice and a muted trumpet gives you that sense of unease, right? Okay, fine. I'm with you there. Right. The second time I was like, oh, this is a thing now. Oh, this is a shtick. <laughs> the third time it was, oh boy, this can't even be a shtick because you failed on the third time. You got to at least give it to me three times. <laughs> yeah, it feels like they did it once and it worked and they were like, do it for all of the wives and didn't check that they could, you know? Right. Which honestly is a lot of this movie is it does a lot of parallel structure shit where you go like, those aren't the same thing. Like that one, that is not the same as that. Right. The, the whole movie is sort of this weird mess as a result because constantly the movie is jumping back to go like, and then here's how this marriage is also on the rocks. And you're like, okay, but that's a couple having an fight over something, which is different from the basis of their entire relationship being passive aggressive. Right, or calling each other's bluff. Right. Like, oh, well, I'm not going to sleep with you if you don't marry me because I'm trying to get out of this shithole. Fine, I'll marry you. How's that? Fine, I will marry you. How's that? (laughs) Like, that is not the same as, I don't know, Kirk Douglas hating the people who want to just sell more commercials and have less content on the radio. (laughs) That, I actually think, again, as written... Kirk Douglas makes that less toothless. We're going to spend the next 20 years of this podcast, 20 years of films we talk about, but also 20 years of this podcast because fucking Kirk Douglas lives a long time talking about Kirk Douglas, right? We're not even close to where Kirk Douglas is a big fucking deal. I'm sure. (laughs) And Kirk Douglas is, I feel like, first time in a while where I've instantly been like, oh, that guy's going to be a big fucking deal. (laughs) This guy is going to be a movie star. In that scene, I feel like he is the one adding real tension to that marriage because as written, that's the couple you're like, well, they're going to be fine. They fought at a dinner party and she forgot his birthday. Like they had a sucky night and like he kind of does some work making him believably a smug asshole, but making him feel like enough of a smug asshole that you're like, Is this okay? Can you square this circle? Is this workable? Where I think in text, it just doesn't really read as that much of a conflict. I mean, if somebody forgot my birthday, I'd be pretty pissed. But yeah, I mean, they've been together for a while. It seems like they're probably going to be okay. And like, I think in the, the, the script, what's supposed to be the huge conflict of their marriage is she makes more money than him, right? That... He is a school teacher and she is making pretty decent money writing for radio plays. And that is supposed to be their huge conflict of, oh, God, could they possibly bridge this gap? That comes up for sure. And like that is definitely an undercurrent of their marriage. But like versus the like rich old guy and his series of escalating dares wife. (laughs) That doesn't really feel like that huge of a problem. Yeah, I mean, oh, absolutely. By comparison, it's nothing. And, yeah, 
I don't know. I feel like I'm just struggling for things to talk about besides Kirk Douglas, which is weird. I just kind of, from the very first scene where he has, like, this weird energy of, like, I'm wearing a suit and I'm not going fishing. If it were today, he would be wearing a women love me, fish fear me hat and fucking (laughs) pulling it off somehow. Yeah. He manages to make being a total weird doofus with a weird energy who's weirdly confident about being a total doofus work. Oh, absolutely. He's kind of adorable. The Deborah Brad relationship feels like a believable marriage, but in kind of a bad way. Rita and George feel like they should be a couple. The other two feel like they would be a couple, you know? <laughs> like, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And also that they would have those exact issues that when you have people who are coming to a relationship from two different parts of the class structure, that there is that kind of tension and insecurity uh, on one hand, and then on the other side you have this complete obliviousness that there are plenty of things that people who are from a lower status have to think about that you never have or a lower class status just things that don't occur to him at all so mainly i think the problem with their story is just it doesn't have enough time to breathe Like, you spend way too much time in why she is rightly very nervous in this marriage. And then the movie goes, yeah, but, like, women. Am I right? And you're (laughs) like, no, that's actually a really reasonable thing for her to be worried about. And we should spend some time about what we're going to do about it. And that just never happens because her third act thing is thinking her husband is the one that left her and then being relieved that doesn't happen. Right. Bleh. This movie doesn't full-on suck, but it is deeply confusing, and it feels like it should be a better movie. It feels like, and maybe it's just because of these three parallel stories, there's a real jump in quality between them that lets you go, oh god, if the whole movie were as good as the good parts of this movie, this would be a good movie. Mm. But it's also just such a wild fucking structure, I'm not even sure that's true. Yeah, yeah. I, hmm, rating this movie is going to be hard. (laughs) My gut says four, and I'm not sure I have anything to back that up with. That's weird, because mine says six, and usually I'm so much lower than you are. Yeah. And I don't have anything to back it up either. It's just like, well, there were funny parts, and I didn't hate watching it, but that's not really a six. Here's my thing, is I think a lot of my four versus a six, because I could go as high as a six on this, a lot of my four is I spent the first 40 minutes of this movie going, which one is this again? Like, I needed us to be in our second flashback before I could honestly tell all three of the wives apart, confidently. Not that they don't look different, but, like, the plot doesn't really give them enough to do where you remember which one is the one with which husband until the second flashback where SAT logic puzzle style, I can go, okay, so the third one must be. Right, yeah. And I feel like if I had a clearer picture from the jump, of which wife was which, I'd go like six. 
I mean, this is Desperate Housewives, right? Oh, yeah. Exactly 100% weird ghost narrator talks about the secret private lives of all of these seemingly normal people in a seemingly normal town. But they're all so seemingly normal that I spent a lot of time going, wait, which normal one is this? Right. What's anybody's vibe? What am I doing? And it's only once you really lock in on the second couple that I go, okay, so the first couple is the young couple that is just nervous because they come from different class backgrounds. The second couple is concerned about, like, who wears the pants in this family. And the third couple is the terrible passive-aggressive couple that got married on a dare. You just go, the third couple is the terrible one that hate each other. Because you don't know their backstory yet. I almost feel like, though, that the Kirk Douglas and Anne Southern relationship is as clear as it is because they're both light haired. (laughs) Yes, they're doing a good job and they're playing their parts well. Anne Southern, I think, less than Kirk Douglas. But it does help that they're (laughs) blondish. I, yes. As far as separating them out because... Deborah and Laura May were, for a while, I was like, are they sisters or what is the deal? Why do they know each other? Yeah. I was not a huge fan of the way that the story was told before the story was told, if that makes sense. Yeah. I was like, who the fuck is anybody? Yeah. The first 10 minutes of this, it's comparatively breezy versus a lot of movies we've seen that take like 45 minutes to get to the fucking premise. Like they're handed the note about one of their husbands leaving them 10 minutes in the movie, but it feels way longer because you are just totally lost at sea for that first 10 minutes. Like who is anyone? Why is this woman interested in the first one's marriage? Who the hell is this person? When Addie goes like, oh, I know what all of you think of me. I've heard everything you've ever said and more. Because up until then, you're like, who the fuck is this narrator and what the fuck are they talking about? And then she enters in and goes like, I'm Addie Ross and I know everything about everyone. And you're like, that just raises more questions. I understand less what's happening right now. <laughs> yes. Like I... <laughs> Exactly. Um, yeah, I, I have no fucking clue what is going on. So when this movie is going, in retrospect, this movie is a six, but I think the experience of this movie is a four. I, yeah, yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. Though I might actually flip it for me. Like, I feel like I had more of a fun time watching it and less of a fun time talking about it. But it it, it averages out to be, uh, I guess, a five. <laughs> yeah, let's go with our, like, classic tilt five on this one. Yeah. Yeah. Should you watch this movie, though? Uh, No, like, (laughs) I gotta say, like, I got really into the life story of Kirk Douglas reading his Wikipedia page watching this movie because, like, what was I going to do? Watch this fucking movie? And so I became, like, weirdly invested in this movie as an early Kirk Douglas starring vehicle before he, like, kind of is weirdly instrumental in breaking out both the studio system and the Hollywood blacklist. Yeah, Kirk Douglas is rad. Yeah. So, like, as a weird artifact of Kirk Douglas bringing it all to the table in this movie where everybody else is just doing some light patter, 
it's interesting, but like that's a fucking you've got to be doing a podcast where you watch every movie ever nominated for best picture or something before that's a reason to watch a movie. <laughs> so, yeah, like so let's let's just skip to Spartacus or something and don't watch this movie. Yeah, I think you could definitely do without it. Yeah. Like, if you did get caught watching it, just know it's going to be fucking weird. <laughs> yeah. So for next week, what are we watching next week? Next week, we are watching The Heiress. I have one game I want us to play before we stop the recording this week, which is a game that God, I hope I remember to play every year. Let us rate which movie we think should win Best Picture based on the tagline on their poster. Oh boy, okay. Because the tagline for A Letter to Three Wives is, all of them wondered which one of them wandered, which... Is kind of so bad it's good. Uh, the heiress only has a truly great motion picture. Yes, and what inspired that is that that is somehow still better than all the King's Men's tagline of the Pulitzer Prize winning novel becomes a vital, very great motion picture. Boy, that is a terrible tagline. Meanwhile, Battlegrounds is the guts, gags, and glory of a lot of wonderful guys. Oh, well, 12 O'Clock High is a story of 12 men as their women never knew them. Actually is my favorite. (laughs) The only reason that is maybe not my favorite is this can't be a movie about 12 World War II airmen making out with each other, right? (laughs) Which is what I feel like that tagline promises. Well, now that you've put that in my head, (laughs) I'm preemptively disappointed. (laughs) I'm sorry. But yeah, next week we're watching The Heiress, which is apparently... A truly great motion motion. picture. (laughs) It says it right on the poster. Legally, it has to be, or they would have to retract the poster. I love, by the way, that that's not a quote or anything. A critic didn't say that. The poster just says a truly great motion picture. Yeah, so tune in next week to find out if the heiress is, in fact, a truly great motion picture. And until then... This was three-fifths of a novel. Literally. Quite literally, three-fifths. Much like the poster for The Heiress, I'm just stating facts, Susan. (laughs) I I don't know what else to tell you. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Goodbye. Hi-ho. Good night, everybody. (laughs) 